Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Well, Bruce Arians ripped NFL officials on Monday about their quick whistle that erased a fumble return for a touchdown and what blew the game for the Bucs on Sunday. We'll talk about that just one day following their 27-23 loss to Tennessee. And what plays would Bruce Arians like to have back? The trade deadline is also today. Will O.J. Howard be moved, and how might his injury affect any kind of deal there? Hey, did you hear about Heim Bloom, named the chief baseball officer for the Boston Red Sox, so he moves from the Rays. World Series Game 6 is tonight. Speaking of baseball, the road teams have won every game. It'll be Justin Verlander against Steven Strasburg in Houston. And the Lightning are at New York to take on the Rangers. They've got a big New York swing, Rangers, Devils, and then the Islanders before they head to Sweden. We've got all that and more on this edition of Sports Day Tampa Bay. I'm Rick Stroud of the Tampa Bay Times, along with producer Steve Versnick. And, Steve, I was out uh, at the, uh, I guess what they call it now, the Advent Healthcare Center, or One Buck Place, if you will, talking to Bruce Arians. You know, after the game, um, he didn't make as big a deal about this, but obviously we remember the play where the Bucks and Devin White on a fake field goal tackled uh, the Titans uh, punter, Brett Kern, forcing a fumble that was then picked up uh, and run in by Andrew Adams uh, for an apparent touchdown. Well, the whistle blew early. Uh, the Bucks were awarded the fumble, but not the touchdown. And Arians, you know, began his, his news conference on Monday, sort of the post-mortem, despite all the mistakes the Bucks had made, and really took off on the officials about that. I mean, it had to be frustrating to go back and watch that tape. And what he said was is that if, if, if we have this last three minutes and some change with a three-point lead, and win the game. I think everybody is writing different stories, talking different things. So it was more than just a play. You know, that touchdown should have counted, if not but for the quick whistle, and we're protecting a three-point lead with three minutes to go as opposed to trying to drive down and score a touchdown and win the game. Totally different situation, doesn't guarantee you victory, um, but he was quite upset about it. And he obviously is willing to take on the fine that's going to come his way, um, you know, for for saying some of the things he did, particularly about officiating. And this has been a problem throughout the NFL this year. We've talked about it on this podcast. There's been some egregious calls, some egregious non-calls. And the one thing, Steve, I think we can agree on is, is that what the NFL wants these guys to do is not blow the whistle, to let the play play itself out and then, then look at review and if it's an obvious fumble, call it a fumble. If it's not, call it what it was. And then, you know, if you can award, uh, you know, an, an instant recovery to the other team, you do so. Um, but this was this was quickly whistled dead, and, and it was clearly the ball was out before he hit the ground. So I guess Bruce Arians just decided that, uh, you know, as he said, there's no accountability for officiating, and he just decided to take off on these guys. Well, and the officials are supposed to hold their whistle, but I think in this case what happened – I think the hit was so good and so hard. I think they were worried. It's a they knew it's a punter. I think they were worried about mm-hmm. safety more than. And I'm not justifying. It, it, look, they they blew it. It, it was mm-hmm. it was absolutely the wrong call. They need to 
to swallow the whistle there and let the play play out and figure it out afterwards. That's what replay is there for. But, uh, you know, yeah. watching it live, and even though you saw the ball pop out, it was such a good hit. I mean, he popped him. And, and you know, mm-hmm. I didn't think it was a fumble live. And granted, you're sitting on your couch, not, you know, there at the stadium with the officials, you know, a few feet away. But I think it was more the safety aspect and how good of a hit it was that the instinct was to blow the whistle. It's dead. And, and they, they screwed it up. They blew it. Yeah, it was the it was the side judge or the line judge. I'm sorry, I, I believe, and um, you know other guys didn't you know saw the ball on the ground. Thing is, with the punter running the football, he's more likely to lose it after a big hit than say a guy who's usually handling the ball as a runner. So where we were in our press box, and the press box is very low in Tennessee. In fact, it's prime real estate. I'm shocked that they have a, a press box you know that that far down uh, in the seats, but. You could see the ball on the ground. I mean, it was not. It, it was not a. Um, from the angle we had, anyway, it, it wasn't even close that, that that ball came out. And according to Bruce, everybody except one guy saw the ball out and blew a quick whistle. And uh, but once that whistle is blown dead, then everybody stops, and you can't sort of put the genie back in the bottle. But it definitely took away a touchdown. Now, whether or not you know with a three-point lead, they could have protected it. Um, remember, they allowed. Tennessee to drive 90 yards to go ahead for the for the go-ahead touchdown, I believe. Um, so it's not like their defense was really stopping anybody, especially um, the last few drives. But, you know, it, it's something that has been epidemic this year. There's been really bad officiating. Al Riverin is, is you know, the senior vice president for officiating for the NFL. He's under fire. Uh, apparently there was a report on uh, ESPN by Jeremy Fowler, I believe, that uh, the NFL contacted the Bucks, much as they did last week when they contacted Detroit about some terrible calls, and admitted that they uh, that they should not have blown the whistle dead there. That it was, you know, at best, uh, you know, a, a quick whistle, and that it absolutely cost the Bucks a touchdown. But none of that, you know, does anything for you. You know, the L stays in the books, and the only thing that's going to happen is that Bruce Arians is probably going to be about ten to twenty thousand dollars lighter in his bank account when this is over, you know, but, but he, he wasn't, I mean, all the Arians were pretty upset. Let me just say that. Um, if you know anything about his wife, Christine, she was on Twitter weighing in. So was Jake, his son. They can't find those guys, but uh, Christine uh, basically wrote that, uh, you know, she's been harping on the fact that they need full trained or full, full-time uh, officials and not, not part-time ones, which I agree with, by the way. Um, and she said, you know, instead we got a new collective bargaining agreement. Shame on you, Roger Goodell. Um, so she went right to the commissioner. And Can and wives Jake, get fined too? I don't know. That's what I was wondering. <laughs> and then Jake, uh, obviously he's not going to get upset that, that, that Bruce is getting fined, but then Jake said, um, you know, how officials are told to let it go. Um, he called it uh, a mess, uh, a mockery, all those things. And he also said, Nothing will come other than a fine for speaking the truth. Damn shame. And he's right. He's he's going to see his, his dad get fined and get fined heavily. I I was okay with Bruce addressing this. I'm not sure I would have let off the press conference with it. You know, the one thing about that game was the Bucks made enough mistakes to beat themselves long before the officials got a chance to do it. And, you know, when you have two turnovers inside the red zone and you give them 14 points when you're kicking, you know, the crap out of them for an entire game – uh, especially in the first half, I think they had 200 something yards to about 76 or something, and then you find yourself tra- trailing. That's on you. Um, they played a horrible football game. You know they made the mistakes 
that they made in the past with two two interceptions and and two lost fumbles, and still you know couldn't protect what was a lead in the fourth quarter because their defense you know gave up uh, another huge drive instead of getting off the field. So you know with all of that being said, you know Bruce wanted to begin the press conference by revisiting this this sort of no call or this quick whistle, and I just felt like okay it's it's worth addressing if you want the fine. But by the same token, did you see your team play? I mean, did you see how bad they were? Well, but isn't and that part of the reason? Isn't that part of the reason you go off on the officials? Look to over deflect, here. Look over perhaps. here. Look over here. Maybe, but you know the thing about Bruce is, is that I've noticed. I mean, he's he is pretty critical about his ball club when when they deserve it. Mm-hmm. He's obviously he's obviously been alibying for the quarterback. I mean, there's no question that you will not find many. Let me say, you will not find probably any coaches who stand up there after a game the way Bruce Arians does and make sure that everybody knows that this interception was not on the quarterback and that interception wasn't on the quarterback and this fumble was not on the quarterback. I mean, all quarterbacks have receivers run bad routes, right? I mean, it's not. this is not a Jameis thing. This is not a Tampa thing. In fact, he has, two of the, he has the best tandem of receivers in the NFL and Mike Evans and Chris Godwin. Um, no two receivers have as many yards or touchdowns as those two. So, uh, you know, and all quarterbacks are going to have protection issues at times. They're all going to get sacked. They're all going to get hit. They're all going to probably fumble at some point, although, you know, you want to keep two hands on the ball. But but this this coach and, and this organization wants to continue to uh, point out that Jameis is not the one uh, on this play. He's not the one on that play. And, okay, that that's fine. Um, and I'll tell you why he does it. Here's why he does it. Because he doesn't want the other players to buy into the narrative, and whether it's true or not, that we lose because our quarterback turns the ball over. In other words, what he is trying to do is hold all the players accountable, including guys like Evans, including guys like Godwin, including guys like Ryan Jensen who got whipped on the fourth and one. Um, you know, He's trying to make them all accountable – Instead of just being able to, in you know, to themselves and in the locker room and to the fans, just sort of wink and nod and say, "Well, I mean, we got a turnover machine at quarterback. We're not supposed to win, right?" And that's what he doesn't want. So I think, as much as this is about trying to keep Jameis's confidence up and have his back and do all those things that we think he's here to do, I also think it's a sign to the other players that, hey, listen, we're not giving you guys a hall pass because this guy turns it over. You know, if you're not helping, you're hurting. So um, I, I really think that that's sort of the the method behind the madness with Bruce Arians. But, boy, it sure sounds like, you know, he has the quarterbacks back at every turn. So, you know, that, that part's not good. Now, the other thing that happened when we talked to Bruce Arians on Monday was, and th- this, is, this has happened in the past, where he goes back and he watches the film, and, of course, he got upset about the calls or the non-call, and so he came out with that. He also said a couple of other things about those two plays that were also big in this game. The first one being third and goal at the four-yard line early in the game, you know, trailing by, what, eight points or so. And they've got Darwe and Gumbawale in the ballgame, who's really not been a guy that's, you know, had many carries. I think he's had a couple carries for minus yardage. But there he was in that situation. You know, they bring Broussard Perryman in motion, and that led to – the Keystone Cops moment. I mean, if you ever doubt where the Bucks were going this year, that will be their butt fumble. That will be their signature play of the 2019 season to show just how inept they were. 
that they couldn't even execute a simple handoff on third and goal from the four-yard line when Perriman, you know, absolutely just destroys Peyton Bar or uh, I'm sorry, Darwin and Gubawale on the carry, and that that little film has played on every NFL show, including Monday Night Countdown. Come on, man, that was their number one, and so you know you're a punchline at that point. You know what I mean? You're you're sort of a you're sort of a sort of a joke, uh, and it's 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 you know, it, it potentially cost you a game not being able to score. If you score one more touchdown, that game is tied and you're driving to win it with a field goal. And they did get to the 38-yard line or so before they got stopped on fourth down. So with Matt Gay, they could have potentially won the game, even just with one more one more play in there somewhere. You know, he, he took, you know, as far as that play goes, here's the stunning thing about it. You know, we screwed that play up in practice. We fixed it. We liked the play. This was not like... This is not like where you, you run a play all week and it's like, man, that looks good. We're going to have to call that in the game. No, no, no. This was one where you might want to have tossed it out of the game plan altogether because when you ran it, you screwed it up in practice too. But they, they thought they had ironed out the issues. Well, they didn't, and it, it, damn, you know, it, it certainly kept them off the scoreboard and you know, potentially could have been even, even worse than that. And so Arians, when, when pressed about it, said, yeah, you know what, after seeing how we ran it and, um, and, and all that went down, I should have vetoed that play. Meaning Byron Leftwich called it. It was in the game plan, but he should have stepped in and said, hey, we're not going to run that play. We're not, we're not very good at it. The other play um, that after the game he didn't really, didn't really point any many fingers at himself about, but then having watched the film did, of course, uh, was the fourth and one, you know, on what should have been their, uh, their drive for a touchdown with the two-minute warning. Um, you know, they opt in that situation to try to run Peyton Barber inside and the play gets absolutely just blown up. And why not? Because that's sort of right into the strength of the Titans defense. They had won a game in goal line and recognize it wasn't goal line defense. They had won a game by stopping Melvin Gordon twice and causing him to fumble on the last carry uh, inside, you know, two yards. So Bruce Arian said uh, the fourth and one play um, again, that's on me. Not on Byron. That's on me. Um, to um, to have a better chance of, of being successful in those two situations, those are both on me. You should have given Jameis, you know, more ability to kind of get outside the pocket and either make a play with his feet or find an open receiver. So those those are two enormous plays, and maybe it's just not really that magnanimous for a head coach to take responsibility for him, but he did. And uh, and I believe that he knows that, you know, it's sort of obvious at this point those weren't the right calls. The weird thing is it's the same, essentially the same call that they had, if you recall, you know, against the Giants in that game that they where they blew an 18-point lead. They ended up settling for a field goal and then a touchdown. Daniel Jones went down, scored a touchdown, and beat him 32-31 after Matt Gay missed in the final play of the game from 34 yards. So... This is two times now in short yardage situations they've taken the ball out of Jameis Winston's hands in as much as they had a pass play called as well. But when they got a certain look on defense, it was immediately you know checked back to a run, and then that's why they didn't get the first down. So, you know, again, Bruce Arians, at least, uh, at least being honest, I don't know what else he can say. I mean, they're sitting here at 2-5. and five. It hasn't worked very well. And, you know, now we've got the trade deadline. And... You know, today at 3 p.m., we're going to find out if the Bucks are going to be sellers. I don't expect them to be buyers at this point at 2-5. and five. 
But the name, Steve, that just keeps coming around is O.J. Howard. I, I, I got to believe, and I have some insight, but we can get to it in a minute, but I got to believe there's something to this because there's too much smoke for it not to be not to be at least a lot of interest from other teams in O.J. Well, he's a first-round draft pick with you know a tight end skills with the size and speed that you covet. Mm-hmm. He's got several years mm-hmm. of control under his rookie deal still. So you're not just, mm-hmm. he's not going to be making big money next year or become a free agent. So why wouldn't he be coveted? Well, he is. And and the one thing that's not going to help the Bucks, I I think, is the fact that he's hurt. And and I don't know, you know, I don't think he's like hurt where he's going to be out for a long time type of hurt. Um, but he came off the bye week and tweaked his hamstring, and wasn't able to play. Uh, so you know, whatever deal somebody would make for him, of course, would be contingent on him passing a physical, and or as our many uh, draft sort of draft pick exchanges based on play time. So for some reason he couldn't get on the field, maybe the Bucks would get a lesser pick. Frankly, I don't know what they would part with him for. I mean, they'd use the number one on the kid, you know, when he's been used and he's been healthy, he's been very productive. Uh, so I don't think I, I don't think they're looking to give him away. Well, I wonder why uh, they want to trade him. I mean, it, look, if a team makes an offer you can't refuse, great. Right. But knowing that you've got several years of control under a guy you drafted in the first round that's got all the skills that you look for in a tight end. Mm-hmm. Why would you want to trade him? Unless, like I said, you, you're, you know, someone's giving you something you think is more valuable. Yeah. And I don't, I don't know that, you know, that they want to trade him. I think they would be agreeable to it for the right price as they would a lot of players, but I, I don't know that they're, they're definitely not shopping him. So to speak, usually you hear about this stuff because, you know, somebody is shopping a player doesn't want them on their team anymore. Um, this is more about inquiries from other teams, but you know, I mean, Bruce Arians doesn't know how to. You know, the, the question is why Bruce Arians doesn't know how to use a tight end, and I mean, I don't know what they see in OJ in terms of work ethic, whether he's getting better, whether he's you know doing all the things he's supposed to do each week. I don't know any of that, but it sure seems to me that you know. If you're not going to use the guy properly, then you might want to start collecting resources. I mean, this is the thing. I mean, and John Romano wrote a column about this today in the TampaBay.com. They can't. They can no longer be delusional and think to themselves that they have a chance to salvage this season record-wise. They're not going to the playoffs. They're not going to run the table, right? So the sell-off needs to happen now if it's going to happen at all. I mean, you know, I, I was thinking about this today where. You know, Shaq Barrett got his 10th sack, and he's having this incredible year and, um, you know, got another $200,000 bonus and, and all this stuff. And it's sort of – he's still kind of pinching himself over his success. But you know what? He's a free agent. Now, I'm sure the Bucks will try to talk to Drew Rosenhaus and re-sign him before he gets to free agency, and that's certainly his leverage against the Bucks that he can then talk to all 32 teams. But I don't know that they're going to get him back or 31 other teams. And what you could do, and it would take some guts to do it, but if somebody wanted Shaq Barrett, you could trade him, and then he becomes a free agent and get him right back. It would be like the Yankees deal. I mean, the Yankees do this stuff all the time. But you've got to have a pretty good feel that he really enjoyed his time here and that this is the scheme he wants to play in. Because otherwise you could be throwing, driving him right into somebody else's arms on a long-term deal. You know, so, so that's part of it. Jason Pierre-Paul, you wonder, you know, is one game enough? Is one film enough for other teams? Let's say you're a contending team and you're just a pass rusher away or you wanted to add another pass rusher. You know, Jason Pierre-Paul doesn't have a deal after this year. So if he's healthy and he appears to be or he wouldn't be out there, maybe some team will come nibbling on him. 
Anyway, check on TampaBay.com. Of course, the trade deadline's at 3 p.m. We'll have all the news for you there uh, during the day. A big day for the for the Rays. They they lose one of their key brain trusts, I guess. Heim Bloom now, the chief baseball officer for the Boston Red Sox. How about that for a guy uh, of his age and talent? And it can't help that he's staying in the American League East if you're the Rays, right? Yeah, I mean, look, and Eric Neander, the GM essentially for the Rays, I don't remember his official title, but the GM, you know, said, look, my, my feelings are excitement for Heim in this. But, man, it's got to suck that he's going to the Red Sox. Heck I mean, yeah. I mean, you're happy for him, and he's been a big part of the organization, a big part of I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. The Rays, you know, rebuild over the last five seasons. But and you, you want him to get that next gig. I mean, there's, you're proud of those people. But, man, now he's going up against you in your division with the payroll, you know, four or five times your size. Yeah, I mean, it's a, it's a huge thing for him personally, but, you know, I, I'm with you. I mean, this guy's taking a special sauce, you know, from the Big Mac and going to Burger King. I mean, you know, the one advantage the Rays have had are, are these young guys with all the analytics and their ability to evaluate players and, and compete, and not just compete, but actually beat teams with, you know, payrolls of three and four times higher than theirs. Obviously, the Red Sox or the Yankees, these other big market teams that are spending all this money would like to make some money themselves – um, but to do it in your own division, uh, I, I guess there's no way they could really stop him, right, from, well, from and, and, taking a job. No, and they don't want to stop him. I mean, you know, Heim has interviewed the last few seasons. I thought last year he was going to get the Mets gig. Um, mm-hmm. They passed on him and, and went with the guy they picked. But, you know, I thought, I thought that was going to be his gig. Um, you just hate seeing him go to Boston. But, no, you don't want to stop those guys. I mean, you know, the other part of this is, is if you're an organization that stops people from moving up, then nobody no wants to come. No one wants to work for you, play for you, whatever. I mean, you know, y- yeah. you want to celebrate those people. It just stinks that it's going to be in in your division. Yeah, I just wonder if you could have prevented him from staying in the American League East because that's that's definitely what you didn't want if he's that that talented. But Eric Neander has done a pretty good, has done a really good job, and he's currently entrusted with uh, continuing to build this team. So. Well, and this year there were there really weren't a lot of GM openings this year. There was a lot of coach openings no. or manager openings. Yeah. Managers, yeah. I mean, a lot of managers took the fall this year, but general managers, not so much. So, mm-hmm. there wasn't there a lot of yep. choices. No, that's true. He's a good choice. I mean, Heimbloom would do a nice job for them. World Series, by the way, game six is tonight. How weird is it, Steve, that all the road teams have won every game? Well, you didn't expect Houston to get swept. When Washington took the first two games in Houston, just knowing, I mean, I believe Houston's the best team in baseball this season. You didn't expect them to get swept, but I didn't expect them to take three straight in Washington, and they they handled their business. And now they come home, they get Verlander going up against Strasburg, which is going to be a great pitching matchup for Game Six. So, but I, I think the Astros wrap it up tonight. Well, they probably will, but you know Verlander has not been as uh, dominant as he's been in past postseasons. Obviously, the Rays beat him. I think his record is one and two, one and three, something like that mm-hmm. uh, in the postseason. So he can be got, and if you got you got to jump him early as they did down there in Houston, um, I think it was game two, right, uh, that they yep. – uh, game one or two, I can't remember, I think it was game two. 
So, you know, they'll have to ambush him. But you're right. I mean, Houston's a better ball club. Davey Martinez was fortunate to be up 2-0. Uh, I think whatever happens, you know, hopefully the, the Nationals will be pleased with him getting him this far, especially with the start that they had. So uh, it's been a good World Series, but, you know, one that, that looks like it's going to go Houston's way. Meanwhile, the Lightning, um, they head to New York. Now, they're, they're going to be in New York for a, for a minute here. they got a bunch of uh, games up and around the New York area with the Rangers, of course, and then uh, I guess they played New Jersey Devils and then the Islanders. What are we, 10 games in now, Steve? What, what, do you, what do you make of where the Lightning are right now? Well, they've got 12 points through the first 10 games, which mm-hmm. if you equate point, that out. Point a game, right? Well, a little more than that. So 12 and 10, mm-hmm. essentially, through 80 games would get you 96 points, which almost every that's season puts you in the playoffs. So yes. you're playing playoff hockey. Four, mm-hmm. Only four of your first 10 were at home. You played teams like Boston, Toronto, Pittsburgh, Nashville. Uh, you know, your schedule, you've played tough teams. You have not really played in any of the teams that are Carolina. You're not playing teams that are, you know, expected to be bottom dwellers at this point. So mm-hmm. you got 12 points out of it. You've got, you know, a third of your blue line is new. You don't have Strawman and Girardi back, so you're trying to figure that out. Cedric Paquette and Braden Point missed some of the games early, so two of your centers were out. Um, mm-hmm. And I, I think their game has gotten better. Uh, you know, I thought Nashville, they lost in overtime to Nashville, but I thought they dominated that play. They play five on five. They gave up two mm-hmm. power play goals and then the goal in overtime, which had come just after they killed off a four on three power play for two minutes. So it was technically an even strength goal, but their, their penalty kill has not been good. But five right. on five, they're playing a lot better. And, and oh. I think. I think you're seeing a, a, a slightly different Lightning team than what we were used to the last few years. They are, I don't think you're going to see them score as many goals this year. I think they're trying to play a lot more responsibly defensively. Um, they're taking some less chances, I think. And, and I think that's all from you know, the experience of the last few years in the early playoff exit, and I think they, they're recommitted or making a, a better emphasis on trying to play more responsible hockey. And so it, it seems like a change. And so, so maybe to some Lightning fans, it feels like they're not playing well because it's not mm-hmm. the same as last season. Um, but I, I think they're trying to adjust the way they play so that the season doesn't end the way it did last year. Right. You're not, you're not seeing as many odd man rushes and easy goals and turnovers and things like that. So mm-hmm. they are doing a better job with that. By the way, um, we're going to have Diana Neros on. Um, the show later this week uh, for Friday's show, mm-hmm. I guess, who covers the lighting for the Tampa Bay Times. She's getting ready to head to Sweden. Yeah, they'll leave. Uh, so they play uh, tonight in the Rangers. They'll play the Devils tomorrow night, the Islanders on Friday. And then Saturday night, they'll leave for Sweden. Uh, and they'll be over there for a week. They play next Friday and Saturday in Sweden. That'll be 2 o'clock and a 1 o'clock faceoff on Friday and Saturday, Eastern time. Next. Wow. So you have some, some uh, day hockey on fr- next Friday. As they yeah. play in the Global Series, and the Rays have a or, uh, right, the Lightning have a huge watch party at Amateur Works or Armature oh, Works okay. on um, mm-hmm. s- Saturday the ninth. So that's the one o'clock start. Though I think that gets underway at noon. So there'll be a big watch party there for the Lightning. It's a great venue. If you haven't been there, it's right on the Hillsborough River. It's beautiful. Lots of great restaurants and places over there, and uh, go watch the Lightning. But the schedule's been weird. I mean, because oh, they've played the least amount of games of anybody in hockey. They're going to play three games this week. Then essentially get a week off before they play in Sweden. Um, so after Sweden, they're going to have you know f- they're going to be fifteen games into the season and only four home games. Technically five because wow. one of the one of the Sweden games counts as a home game, but only four in your own barn. 
So they're going to have a lot of home games, and the schedule is going to pick up quickly once they get back from Sweden. You're going to start seeing a lot more games more frequently. It's been, it's been kind of bizarre. It's been, if you, I don't know if it was last year or the year before where they played a game, they play opening night, and then they had five days off until the next game. Yeah, that was last was, year. Yeah. Was it last year? I couldn't remember if it was last year or the year before. And they've had some bizarre schedule yeah. starts uh, recently, and this was one of them too, where it's just not a lot of games so far in the season, and, but it's going to pick up quick after they get back from Sweden. Yeah, so we got that to look forward to, and as well as uh, the college football, we haven't really discussed a whole lot about the weekend, but USF, of course, won big at East Carolina, which is not a very good football team. Florida State beat Syracuse, which isn't what they used to be. Yeah, and that um, was a top was big... 20 team going into the season, Syracuse. I know, it's crazy, right? Very they disappointing. They blasted there. by Maryland, got destroyed by Maryland. They they haven't played well, So, um, but Florida State takes care of business. Big win for Willie Taggart. He had to have that one, to mm-hmm. say the least. Florida is getting ready to play Georgia. That's the big game, of course, this week in Jacksonville. It'll go pretty much all the way to deciding who's going to represent that side of the SEC in the uh, SEC title game. So huge game coming up for Florida. We and could then, we could talk uh, about this with Matt Baker, but I was having a conversation uh, over the weekend. So Oklahoma loses. Mm-hmm. So they're no longer undefeated. Right. What if Oklahoma wins the Big 12, but their loss is at Kansas State? Not a bad team, but, you know, good. Mm-hmm. Let's say LSU loses to Bama on a close game. Mm-hmm. Florida wins out. And Florida beats Bama in the SEC championship game. And Ohio State goes undefeated, let's say. And Clemson's undefeated. So who do you take in the college football playoff? Mm. You got Ohio State and Clemson probably in. You've got three one-loss SEC teams, LSU, Alabama, and Florida. Yeah. And Florida's loss is at LSU. LSU's loss is Bama, and Bama's loss is Florida. And then you've got Oklahoma with one loss, whose loss is Kansas State. Who do you take in the playoff at that point? Uh, That's where the eyeball test has to come into play. And, uh, you know, for my money, I mean, I haven't seen Alabama. Uh, We're going to see them play better competition coming up here shortly. I think LSU's the best team in the SEC, in my opinion. Um just like the way they play, mm-hmm. you know, most balanced team, certainly uh, arguably the best quarterback, and mm-hmm. he's playing better than, than Tua at this point. So, I mean, for my money, just from what I watch when I watch LSU, right. I, th- I think they're the best team in the SEC. But if but they lose be, to Bama and Florida ends up winning the SEC. Yeah, you got a problem. And, and like yeah. I said, it's that round robin. If Florida loses to LSU – LSU well, loses highest... to Bama and Bama loses to Florida. It's that, you know, they the, between the three of them, their one loss is all each other. Right. You're going to take the highest ranked team, yeah. in my opinion. Well, but I mean, could two or could you even take three? Could could you take three SEC schools over Clemson if they don't have a big win? You could. I, I mean, you know, I mean, that's I mean, where it gets. People will rail against it, but get sticky at that point, you know. You know, because, you know, Look, any, any one of those SEC losses is better than or Oklahoma's loss to Kansas State. So do you take an SEC right. school over Oklahoma at that point? It's just it, – it, it could – I mean, in college football, we have these discussions now, and most likely it's not going to play out that way. But the SEC this year, it does pose an interesting twist. And that's why they love the college football playoff system, because people talk about that very thing. Um, all I know is Ohio State's really, really good. <laughs> and mm-hmm. um, boy, but what, what if they, they lose they, to Penn State and but still go to the Big Ten Championship and win that, and they have one loss? And, you know, you start yeah. – if all of a sudden you have six schools with one loss. Chaos. You have yeah. chaos. Yeah. But we can talk and to Matt Baker about that on Thursday. 
Absolutely. Yeah, that'll be that'll be topic. And then you met, you didn't even mention your Michigan Wolverines just destroying Notre Dame. Harbaugh finally w- beats a big uh, top ten team. It's incredible. That's right. And it, he beats a team that cannot beat other top ten teams, well, which is Notre Dame. I had a buddy of mine text me and says Harbaugh is the only big game coach that can, or you know, guy who can't coach a big game beats the only one who's worse than him, and Brian Kelly. <laughs> I really got a feeling, and I don't know why, but, I mean, this sort of goes back to last year and the search firm and the call I got from, you know, a Chicago columnist talking about Brian Kelly. I think Brian Kelly's out of there. I think he wants out of there. I think he's tired of it. I don't Um, know what else he can do there. I mean, that's a tough spot. You're not in a conference. The type of athlete, you know, the the, the scholastic restrictions you have on you. Sure. um, and, and, And just where, you know, you're, you know, one of the problems that, you know, for instance, Michigan has and, and Notre Dame has, too, is, you know, the athletes you're recruiting aren't aren't in your state. You're not right. getting you're not getting Indiana guys or Michigan guys. No, Ohio's got a lot no. of great football. You know, sure. But but where you're recruiting at, you don't even have home field advantage for the, the type of recruit you're trying to pull that when you're trying to get four and five stars is you have so few in your area. That's it, a Notre Dame's a tough that's a tough you know, financially it's great, and, and the amount of boosters and donors in your own television network's great. But at the tough, that's a tough place to coach. I just I feel like Brian Kelly is at that age where if he's going to take a shot in the NFL and he wants to do it, I don't know that there's a team that wants to hire him necessarily, but this would be the time for him to go. And um, yeah, that game, you know, as good as, as Harbaugh in, in, in Michigan was, it was a lousy day too, by the way. Man, mm-hmm. the rain was going sideways. Um, Notre Dame just didn't come to play, and Michigan made them made them uh, pay for that. But um, that was a big win. Harbaugh needed that. Again, he's going to – I mean, Stevie could still win nine or ten games, right? Well, assuming they lose to Ohio State, if they, their remaining schedule sure. is uh, Maryland, Michigan State, and Indiana. So you win those yeah. three. Uh, you get Michigan State at home, the other two on the road. You win those mm-hmm. three, and you're nine and three. Yeah, and then you get a bowl game. Maybe you win that. You win ten wins again. Mm-hmm. I mean – you know, people think it's easy just to win ten games a year at these programs. It's not. No, you know? and considering you know, look, the seven years before, you know, Harbaugh got there, Michigan was averaging you know five to six wins a season. Right. They got a celebrity coach, a superstar coach that's going to win them ten games a year. Maybe one year they beat Ohio State and go to, you know, go to in the national championship picture. Maybe they don't. Um, but certainly, you know, you could do a lot worse than Jim Harbaugh. And then we'll see if the NFL comes calling again and what his true feelings are with that. He says he's not interested in going back. And well, he's been at I Michigan he five years. That's the longest coaching job he's held. So I don't know if, if, that, if it's you know he's just always moved up, or if he just, you know in San Francisco they kind of kicked him out because they sided with the GM over him. But or, oh, if, yeah, or if he, he gets fired. just itchy and wants to leave, I, you know we'll see. Yeah, I just think Michigan's a different place for him because he's he was their quarterback. You know, he's a Michigan man. I know what it means to his family for him to coach there. Mm-hmm. Um, that's certainly a job you can have for 20, 25 years if you want to coach to your 70. Typically, I would say at some point you go back to the NFL, but you know what? Maybe he prefers college. You know, that's the other thing. Like, there is a certain, uh, even though the recruiting's a pain in the ass and, and it's not just all football, but there is a, a certain satisfaction you get with taking an 18-year-old young man and then, you know, watching him grow uh, and graduate, hopefully, and, and, you know, four or five years later, seeing what you turn out, you can impact these kids' lives. So mm-hmm. I think there's some real, you know, some real joy in that that Jim would get. I know he's a great dad and 
um, would probably enjoy is working with young people. There's a lot of things about the NFL. There's pros and cons about both jobs, right? But the money now is is sort of leveling off for the really elite coaches in in the NFL and uh, college football. You're getting paid much as much or, or very often more um, than what they're doing in the NFL. And again, you don't have recruiting as ball all the time, but it's still a 50 week a year job. And there's still some, you know, the scrutiny and the the you know certainly um, the longevity doesn't exist in the NFL as it does in college. Um, it, there is a chance that he could stay at Michigan for 20 years. There is no chance that he would go someplace in the NFL and stay there for 20 years, even if he won a Super Bowl. So, you know, that's sort of the difference in, uh, in security. And then his family comes into that as well. But uh, that was a big win for Michigan. Now, here's the interesting thing, and you brought this up to me before the podcast. SMU is at Memphis. That's the big American Athletic Conference showdown. And college game days going to Memphis? They are. My old stomping grounds. Cool. I lived there for a couple seasons and covered cool Memphis was that? football. So, Yeah, that's no, so it, cool. It's very cool. I mean, they were at South Dakota State, what, last weekend? And now they're yeah. going to, you know, I mean, they could have gone to Florida, Georgia, but Florida's already been on game day three times this year. Yeah, it's unbelievable. You know, and I, I like that game day likes to vary it up a little bit. So, I mean, you want to be at the big games, and this is a huge game in the AAC and, and a huge game in the – you know who gets the automatic New Year's New Year's uh, New Year's six bed because the highest mm-hmm. ranked team out of the you know not in the, the Power Five conferences gets into a New Year's New Year's six game. No, it's a it's a good one. I mean SMU is a surprise team. Memphis has been very solid in this conference. And um, man, I spent you spent you lived there. You lived mm-hmm. in Memphis. I used to go across. That's just sixty miles from Jonesboro, Arkansas, home yep. of your Arkansas State Indians and. That's where we spend our weekends, man, because you had to go to the big city to party. There was no big city in Jonesboro. Beale Street will be um, hopping so, on Saturday. Oh, man. Can you imagine? Oh. How cool is it going to be? I wonder where they're going to do it. On the campus, I guess? or uh, I assume they'll do it at the Liberty Beale Bowl. Street, I assume they'll do it at the Liberty Bowl, but I, I didn't see where if they said yeah. where, but I would assume it's yeah. going to be at the game. But I, they could do it on Beale Street instead if they chose. I mean, it's the, the game is that- a 730 game at night, so you could do it anywhere you wanted in Memphis. Yeah, you know what's interesting about that that city as far as college football goes? It's a big college football town, and, and what I mean by that is it's sort of the intersection, like I said, it borders Arkansas, so you've got lots of SEC fans in the neighborhood, Tennessee fans, some Mississippi fans, um, uh, Arkansas, as I mentioned. I mean, they're, they're, it's sort of an intersection of college football right there, and then, of course, you got Memphis, uh, which is now in the American Athletics, so... Uh, it's a good, it, like it's a cool place to go and watch games on Saturdays, and you'll see fans from all those teams, you know, um, hanging out on Beale Street and and, uh, and and enjoying a Saturday and watching college football. So that's going to be a fun. That's going to be a fun game day. I'll make sure I tune into that one. Although I, I will so say, Memphis, while it's a college football town, it's a it's a basketball town. Well, of course, yeah, and, of course it is. You know, the years I was there, the Memphis Tigers were the professional team in town, and the Grizzlies. Were the mm-hmm. amateurs? I mean, essentially, as far as you know, how well they played. Right. I was. I was. I was in Memphis when Calipari was there, and when you know, recruiting guys like Derrick Rose and Derrick Rose. Yeah. He yeah. was. He was after I, I left there, but Calipari was the coach there and had them perennially in you know the top ten and top twenty in college basketball. Uh, it's a it's a big college basketball town, obviously, and a lot of homegrown talent there as well. So, yeah, cool. It'd be cool to see the old stomping grounds, so to speak, uh, up there on college game day. Um, so that's that's our podcast. I mean, we're going to be at One Buck Place. Big trading deadline. Remember, at uh, 3 p.m. today, we'll 
keep you updated on TampaBay.com. You can go and look for stories there if there's any news at all. And, of course, we'll talk about it uh, on the podcast tomorrow. Uh, We're also going to have Matt Baker, our college football writer, coming up uh, this week. Uh, He'll be on the podcast tomorrow as well, right? Is that correct? Uh, No, he'll be on Thursday. Tomorrow we'll have Tom Jones. Oh, that's right. Well, radio partner. There you go. TJ's back. Yeah. Yeah. So that'll be fun to hook up with Tom, and we can – talk about all sorts of things college football and of course uh, the Rays and Bucks and whatever else comes to mind and uh, so we got lots of good shows Diana Neros is going to be on later this week uh, from New York uh, and talk about the lightning before she heads over to Sweden that'll be on Friday so plenty of good shows coming up this week we're glad you guys listen we're here each and every uh, day Monday through Friday boy I'm really interested to see what's going to happen to the Bucks I don't think they'll make a big deal Jason Light's only made one deal, trading Jonathan Banks back in 1996 for a conditional pick uh, to the Detroit Lions. So he doesn't have a long history of this, but certainly the Bucks are at a crossroads, and maybe they'll try to gain some sort of assets to uh, to help themselves in the draft and, and look at 2020. But um, that's going to be something to watch. So for Steve Burstink, I'm Rick Stroud of the Tampa Bay Times. Hope you guys have a great day, everybody. 